1: Hey, everybody, we recorded this episode just before news broke on Monday night about a leak of a draft Supreme Court opinion suggesting that there is a majority planning to overturn Roe versus Wade in the coming weeks. We wanted to point to the Strict Scrutiny podcast where Leah Lippman, Kate Shaw, and Melissa Murray will be putting out an update Tuesday afternoon to help break down this draft ruling, what we know, what we don't. They are an incredible resource, and we are so glad they're part of the Crooked Network, so please check that out. And we'll be covering this story here at Pod Save America, talking through the politics, but also pointing to ways each of us can help to protect abortion access for people everywhere and to make certain that the huge majority in this country that believes in and supports reproductive health care is heard in November. Much more to come on that front. But for now, let's go to the show.
2: Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Levitt. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's show, the midterms are six months away, and new polling has the race closer than you might expect. Donald Trump forgets who he endorsed in Ohio. And later, we have some fun with the highlights and lowlights of Saturday's White House Correspondence Dinner. But first, this week on Offline, I talked to tech policy expert Renee DeResta about Elon Musk buying Twitter. What else? Renee is a brilliant expert on content moderation and algorithms who makes the case that Elon fundamentally misunderstands free speech on the internet. Uh, Definitely check that out. Also check out the latest episode of Stuck with Damon Young. This week, Damon discusses mental health and the benefits of therapy with KSA Lehman and Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. New episodes of Offline drop every Sunday, and you can listen to all episodes of Stuck with Damon Young for free only on Spotify.
1: All right. Let's get to the news. We got to keep it moving, boys. I got—I am so late to the Met Gala. We got to go. Let's go.
2: <laughs> Is the Met Gala happening this week? Yeah. It's happening right now. Oh, wow. I felt like we were everyone was just yelling about AOC's dress like three weeks ago. It's like, been a year already? Time flies when you're having fun, you know? Wow. Wow. Okay. Anyway, we're now six months out from the 2022 midterms, and uh, a new poll from ABC and The Washington Post gives us a picture of where things stand that pretty much tracks with the 538 averages. Joe Biden's approval is 42% positive and 52% negative, which is a slight increase from the last few months. (laughs) It's something. Uh, 46% of voters say they'd vote for the Democrat in their congressional district, while 45% say they'd vote for the Republican. Also a slight increase for Democrats, though the 538 average still has Republicans leading by a little over two points. Uh, the most important issues to voters in the polls are the economy and specifically inflation, two issues where they say they trust Republicans over Democrats by around 20 points. Woof. Uh, Rep- <laughs> yeah, woof. Republicans are also more trusted on the issue of crime by 12 points and immigration by a closer three points. I was kind of surprised about that. While Democrats are more trusted by double-digit margins on the issues of abortion, education and schools— an equal treatment of people regardless of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity. In another sign that Democrats are growing more comfortable taking on what we've all said is Republican overreach on the so-called culture war issues, President Biden took on book banning at last week's Teacher of the Year ceremony at the White House. Today, there are too many politicians trying to score political points,
3: trying to ban books, all because it doesn't fit somebody's political agenda. We're to stop making the target of the culture wars.
2: Uh, guys, what are your general reactions to the post-ABC poll on uh, where Democrats stand six months out from the midterms? Tommy?
3: Uh, pretty nervous to quite nervous. Plus or minus five nervouses. <laughs> <Like, laughs>
2: I mean, I know it's better than some of the other polls we've
3: seen, but nine out of 10 Americans concerned with inflation, 44% upset about it. That's a big problem. And it's a big problem that you have very little ability to solve, even as president. Because, you know, because, you know, the the challenge with inflation is you can have a great job. There's some other economic indicators in the poll that like, you know, more people feel like they can find a good paying job. But the problem with inflation is you can have a a job that pays you well, but you still worry that the economy can slip away from you because prices are going up. And there's just a lot of headwinds economically. The war in Ukraine is not slowing down. That's going to keep energy and food costs high, like lockdowns in China. The stock market is down for the year. So I'm nervous. And the Republicans have a much easier job, which is just block everything Joe Biden tries to do with Joe Manchin's
1: help. And uh, yeah, it's not a great setup. Love it. I already issued my woof. Uh, One other number that is troubling is how much more enthusiastic Republicans are about turning out right now than Democrats, which makes me skeptical of how close these uh, uh, generic ballot numbers are. And, uh, you know, when republicans have a 20 point advantage on the two most important issues going into the midterms that's very bad <laughs> and it I, was striking will- actually it was striking actually too but i was the, the the thing i thought the, my biggest takeaway from looking at this is like why are these fucking idiots talking about disney they <laughs> they're going to they're going to they're gonna win this thing in a row if they can just keep their mouths closed
2: jesus this is what i'm saying it's unbelievable it's just like they like you know we have all the, we've we've talked a million times about this about the cultural issues but like they have on a number of issues now book banning and that's why Biden was talking about it on Disney on a couple of things they have far overreached where the polling is and uh, they don't really need to do it but they can't help themselves because they're extremists you know I mean I do think love it to your point like yes Republicans are more enthusiastic to vote this is not terribly surprising party in power has a more difficult time getting their voters motivated than the party out of power. That happens almost every single midterm we've been alive. Um, There had been some thought that maybe this would change because uh, the Democratic Party now has the disproportionate share of college-educated voters in our coalition, which we didn't always used to have. And college-educated voters tend to be the more reliable voters in a midterm. Um, But the problem there is, as we saw in Virginia in 2021, um, non-college-educated Trump voters Seem to be turning out even in midterm and off-year races, which had not usually been the case before Trump was president. Which is something now we have to contend with. Um, I do think Tommy too, to your point, like it may be boring, redundant, not make for the most exciting content. But like it's clear from this polling and all the polling that we've seen that the election is going to hinge on voter concerns over inflation, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like there's very little control you have over inflation, um, but and also to the point, you know, that a lot of liberals on Twitter make, which is like, oh, the media, it's the media's fault because the media is not covering the, 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 the booming economy and all the jobs created. Well, there's a question in here about like, how easy do you think it is to find a good paying job? And people are saying pretty easy, including Republican voters,
3: mostly Republican voters.
2: <laughs> and so the problem is not necessarily that people are, don't know that under Joe Biden, we've created a lot of jobs. It's that they're like, yeah, that's not my problem. My problem is shit's expensive. People
3: aren't stupid. They go to the store and they're like, oh, hamburger meat is more expensive. That is bad. They drive by the gas pump and they say, oh, four, four gallons. Five, like it's like it's so insulting when we treat voters. Like they're just victims of the media when it comes to something as simple as inflation, like sure it can get covered too often or it can, you know, disproportionately, but people are really feeling this. And if you try to explain it away like that, you just seem dismissive of their concerns. It's so stupid.
1: And I have seen some uh, like experts point out, I think correctly, that but for stimulus, we could have been in a much darker economic position, right? With like far more job losses, far more dislocation, far more misery. But it's just tough to make the argument that this form of economic pain is better than the alternative. It's not a great message.
2: Yeah. And again, I think that there was a section of Biden's State of the Union where he nails what I think is the best, most effective message, or at least the message that gives you the best shot, which is like, here are all my plans to lower costs for people since costs are the most important concern for voters. Republicans' plans would make your costs even higher than they are now. I'm for lowering costs for these things. They're for raising costs. I'm trying to get stuff done. You give me more Democrats because I have two Democrats in the Senate who aren't very cooperative. (laughs) You give me more Democrats. I will pass this legislation to lower your costs. You put them in power, guarantee costs aren't going down because they're not going to do that. I mean, like, again, that might not win it for you. But it seems to me to me, it seems to me the most effective message among a lot of bad options.
1: And you can throw on top of that the Rick Scott plan to cut taxes for the richest people in the country to flood the economy. Not only is it unfair, not only does it help no one except the richest people in this country, it would flood the economy with more money to raise prices even more, right? There's an argument to be made to tie back to what the uh, (laughs) head of the Republican senatorial campaign is trying to do if they win.
2: Now, there was an Axios story over the weekend that has quotes from both progressive and moderate Democratic politicians, saying they've been inspired by uh, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow's speech hitting back at Republicans on culture war issues. And, of course, we just heard Biden take on the book banning thing. Now, just knowing what we just said about inflation and the economy being sort of the top concerns, does it make sense for Democrats to take on these issues still? Uh, What do you think, Tommy?
3: I mean, I don't think they have a choice. These guys, Republicans are so good at manufacturing these issues, manufacturing anxiety about whatever social issue it is, especially when it has to do with schools and school curriculum, um, that we can't ignore them. You also just can't win a fight that you're not a part of. And I think what Biden did was smart because he made it not about what the Republicans wanted to discuss, but he reframed it on more fertile ground for Democrats, which is to say they want to ban books. Banning books is not popular. There was a CBS poll from like three months ago that found 80% of voters don't want to ban books that are about history or race. So you have to make the debate about that. Like similarly, if we're in Florida debating like the appropriate amount of sex education for kindergartners, that is not the ground you want to be fighting on. You have to reframe these debates, you know? So I'm glad he took it on. I thought Mallory McMurray's speech was excellent. Um, she looked like she was fighting. She reframed the debate. I mean, two years ago, Republicans were really mad about you know, people trying to tear down statues of Confederate soldiers. Now they don't want us to be able to teach kids about them. They want that to be illegal, right? You kind of like point out the hypocrisy. It's all about
2: politics. It's phony populism. Pivot to Rick Scott. But I do think you have to take it on. It is funny that we're sitting here like having to bring out poll numbers like, hey, you know what? Banning books, books, not so bad. popular. <laughs> I got a poll that says it's not that popular.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, and I also think it's also like, don't get wrapped around the axle of the
2: Bullshit they've been spewing
1: about the technicalities that they're trying to claim are written into the law. They want to bully gay kids. They want to threaten gay teachers. They want to ban books. uh, They don't want to teach history to your kids. They want to make, you know, like these are the simple (laughs) the simple arguments we need to make that I think are pretty popular with people and that point out. That this Republican Party is extreme, which is our only hope of drawing a contrast to them as we head into the fall. That it's not just that we can make a case about what we would do on inflation versus them, but we also have to make a case that these people are have lost it. That this is a party unmoored from reality, chasing ghosts, fighting imaginary threats, attacking people,
2: bullying people. That's where we got to be. They want to use the power of the state to retaliate against private businesses who hold different beliefs than the ruling party. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where they are now. That's the Disney thing. <laughs> it's like, come on. Um, so this is this is yet another poll where uh, the Democrats generic ballot number is better than Joe Biden's approval rating. Um, Love it. Why do you think that is? And if you're running a competitive Democratic midterm campaign, do you try to separate your candidate from Joe Biden?
1: You know, honestly, John, when I saw that you might ask me that question, my first step was to look to see if there was a message box with an answer, but there wasn't. It was just a, just a, fucking, it's a fucking mailbag. Dan phoned it in. All right. So so right, right now, Joe Biden is getting tagged uh, uh, with a lot of dissatisfaction and anger in the country, right? There was this great hope that he was going to uh, uh, restore some kind of normalcy, restore stability. Take on some of the chaos of the last few years. He is being tagged for some of the problems, many of which are outside of his control. That we're still going through the the the, the, the pandemic that seems to be without end, inflation, uh, gridlock in Congress. Not all of which can obviously be laid at his feet. Uh, and I do wonder too if what's also happening is, uh, you know, people are really unhappy. With what's happening in Washington, uh, they blame Democrats, but they also blame Republicans. It is not like people are approaching this ballot uh, unaware of the chaos and nonsense coming out of the Republican Party. They see Marjorie Taylor Greene making the news just like the rest of us.
2: Tommy, what, what do you got? Listen, were, do, were you able to? Were you able to contact? Dan? I, I, <laughs>
3: As a wise person once said, where we go one, we go all. And I I don't think it's really possible to separate yourself from Biden at this point. I mean, I like especially these lesser known congressional candidates. These elections are so nationalized. Like, I saw some candidates are kind of trying, like Maggie Hassan is like, and that's why I called on Joe Biden to release more energy from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Like, that's fine. That's a gentle lift. I I just think like you can say – Hey, Mr. President, please don't come to my district. Don't come to my state. Don't come campaign for me. Like you can spend your time elsewhere. That's fine. But I think if you're like actively giving the president of your party, the Heisman in a midterm, that's going to hurt him. That's going to hurt you. That is a stupid, stupid, well, that's stupid strategy. It's just not going to work.
1: You know what else was funny about? uh, You know what else was funny is uh, Dan's message box said, check out Ezra Klein's podcast. Dan, I don't need message box to point me to Ezra Klein's podcast. Listen to every episode. You're not All on right. three jokes about Dan's message box. Can you write those for Mom, you, too? two <laughs> jokes about them. On two jokes about them. We cut one. You son of a bitch. That's the second one. John, you have any jokes about Dan?
2: No, I don't. I don't, guys. Uh, I, Tommy, <laughs> I agree with you that it's just – unless you have built up a brand over years and years as sort of an independent-minded Democrat – Like Joe Manchin your mentor. It's going to be very hard. It's going to be – right, yeah. It's going to – It's going to be very hard come election season to suddenly separate yourself. And as with each successive election, the amount of split ticket voting has declined over and over again. So they they become very close. Now, to the original question of like why this is happening with Biden and the Democrats, I I think that my best guess on this is um, we always talk about Joe Biden's quote. Don't compare me to the almighty. Compare me to the alternative. Mm -hmm. When you ask people whether they approve or disapprove of Joe Biden, There is no alternative. It's either you're happy or you're not happy. And there's a lot of unhappy people right now. When you have a generic ballot and you say, do you like the Democratic Party, the Republican Party? Guess what? The Republican Party isn't fucking popular. Yeah. Not to say the Democratic Party is that popular, but the Republican Party ain't so popular either. Um, And like, you know, people are giving Ron Klain, the White House Chief of Staff, some shit because after uh, Macron won in France, he was saying, oh, Macron's approval rating going into that election was like low 30s, I think. Um, but of course he beats Le Pen by a good amount. And he's like, basically it was like, maybe that'll happen here with Joe <laughs> Biden. Now that, that might be a, that might be a reach. We don't know. I'll tell you one think, thing. It
1: definitely is. It's an indoor thought. It's an indoor <laughs> thought,
2: <laughs> but the same, but I think the same dynamic applies, which is if, if and, and, and we've talked about this, if you try to make the midterms, uh, just, hey, Democrats have delivered, and uh, even if you don't think so, we're telling you so, it's not going to go well. If you make the midterms, here's what we're doing and here's what they want to do, then you have a, more of a fighting chance because you're reminding people of what the alternative is.
1: And, and you know, there's, yeah, th- one other simple thing that Trump manages to always get right is there's only two kinds of problems, like problems he solves or, or problems that are someone else's faults that he's going to solve, right? That's it, right? Here's all the progress we've made so far. Here are the two plans to address inflation. They want to cut taxes for rich people, make your costs for healthcare go up, sunset some of the most important social safety net programs in the country to leave you fending for yourself against rising prices. Here's what our plan is. They want to ban books. We want to invest in teachers, right? You can just go back and forth.
2: Yeah, Trump would definitely brag about the shit he's done, but he would never do it in a vacuum. He'd say... I created more jobs than any president in human history, and they're going to ruin it if you send them into Congress. They're going to screw up the whole economy. I can't wait till on election night Ron Klain is tweeting,
3: college arrondissements are still out. (laughs) That's a
1: Paris joke for you. (laughs) I cannot believe the the audacity of Tommy Vitor not minutes ago. His mind foggy with COVID trying to attack me for making a Dan joke. He's out there talking about some French French nonsense. I mean, I I
3: look, if I make what? a second France joke, then you can go after me for this. But I was going for the redundancy, not the Dan part.
2: <laughs> or a third. Or a third that we, we cut. We cut one.
3: The first
0: one was the best.
2: Uh, Let's talk about the Republicans who are obviously in a good position, but as even Mitch McConnell said the other week, quote, it's actually possible for them to screw it up uh, by nominating the more extreme candidate in their party's primaries. Uh, Sure enough, we are at the beginning of a month of Republican primaries that will tell us whether Donald Trump's favorite candidates will prevail in Nebraska, West Virginia, Idaho, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Ohio, where Trump held a rally this weekend and completely forgot who he endorsed.
0: We've endorsed... JP, right? J.D. Mandel, and he's doing great.
3: Wow. (laughs) Did he get it wrong twice? Did he say JP, then J.D. Mandel?
2: Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. He got all sorts of wrong. You know what? All sorts of wrong.
3: I know this is nonsense. I know this won't matter. I know this is resistance, clickbait, idiocy that won't move a single voter. I don't care. I love this. I love this. This is for me. I, you cannot take this away from me. This race triggers me like no other. JD Vance is terrible. Josh Mandel is bigger. His most MAGA opponent is terrible. I hate them both. They're both likely to win. This is my moment. Don't take it away.
2: I would not. I wouldn't dream of it. Thank Tommy. You. Tommy. Love it. Do you do, do you think that was a Freudian slip, or, is that, or should we make Donald Trump draw a clock? What do you think?
1: I, look, I don't. I never think it's a mistake to try to see where Donald Trump is cognitively. I think it's always <laughs> a good idea. Um, <laughs> I. He's a, whatever. He's an idiot. He forgot which person. He doesn't care. He's barely paying attention. Kind of. we, you know, <laughs> like, The other like, all wore like, off.
2: I'm for I'm for whoever uh, whoever they told me they thought was going to win because I want to be a fucking loser.
1: Yeah, I'm for whoever Peter Thiel told me. I don't know. I don't I don't give a fuck. These guys all suck. <laughs> also, by the way, shame on JD Vance for being younger than us. I know he's young. What? He's like, yeah, he is. It. But you don't you can't see it on his
2: face because I think the lying has aged him. <laughs> yeah, the lying has aged him. Um, Tommy, I know that you care a lot about this Ohio Senate primary. Well, what's happened in the Ohio and, and Pennsylvania Senate races since uh, Trump's j- endorsed uh, J.P.D. Mandel and, and Dr. Oz? I mean,
3: J.P.D. ZV is definitely, you know, surged from the Trump endorsement. I don't know if that's because it's just Trump or because J.D. Vance's opponents are terrible and they spent weeks attacking each other. And I think that helped J.D. Vance here. I mean, Initially JD's opponents were all in on just pointing out that he was a never Trumper uh, and that he criticized Trump back in 2016 and that hurt him. But I think Dave uh, Weigel from The Washington Post pointed out that um, John Kasich won the GOP primary in Ohio. <laughs> so there's a lot of Republicans in Ohio who were uh, against Trump before they were for him. you know the, the but like this guy, Gibbons, what's his name I forget his first name? He spent 10 million of his own money. He nearly got into a fist fight with Josh Mandel on stage. At an event, it's not that hard to look like the reasonable guy. And like J.D. Vance, as much as he drives me crazy, Mike Gibbons, thank you, Elijah, um, you know, like has some political skills. He is, you know, pandering relentlessly to the base and triggering us on Twitter. But that that's effective. There's one state senator in Matt Dolan. Who is the kind of like move on from Trump candidate? But he gets attacked because his family changed the name of the Cleveland Indians to a name that wasn't racist, and that's just a, a sin in 2022. You can't do that. So that's Ohio.
2: Trump is very upset. Trump Trump said he doesn't belong in the Senate because he changed his family changed the name from the Indians it's to just, the Guardians. Uh, it's too um, much. I, I will say to about Matt Dolan, state senator Matt Dolan. So the primary is today. You're listening to this on a Tuesday. Uh, the primary in Ohio is today. Uh, the last poll. Trafalgar, remember Trafalgar? the mustache. <laughs> Trafal- Trafalgar Trafalgar. 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 It was always a poll. Trafalca. Rafalca It was the poll that pissed me off all the time. Um, their last poll has JD Vance twenty six point two, Matt Dolan twenty two, Josh Mandel twenty point eight. Fingers crossed. Matt Dolan coming on strong. Coming was, on strong.
1: One thing that I just. One thing that is striking. And I do think it goes to, you know, how, what the, what both the effectiveness and limits of a Trump endorsement, these primaries, this one taking place in Pennsylvania, the Republican primary in Pennsylvania, this, this primary, Nebraska, these, we are through the fucking looking glass. This is not like, there's no policy. There's just, there's just like withering attacks,
2: just racist, just vibes.
1: vi it's all fucking vibes. These guys are it's going after vibes. each other on vibes. There's nothing, there's no substance left whatsoever, nothing, and, and all the voters that are participating in this thing, right? If you're a Republican primary voter, kind of trying to decide between heinous people like J.D. Vance and Josh Mandel, You're part of this ecosystem where you are getting just the absolute worst godforsaken information on the planet. You have no guideposts. You are you are floating in outer space. And it's just like that is the future we are heading towards. Right. Like what is happening inside of these primaries, complete, complete substance free primaries. uh, It's chilling. It's chilling. I'll just say that whoever wins, we lose. That's all I'm pointing out. That's right.
3: I mean, Pennsylvania is, is an interesting one because that it appears to be tied. You have Dr. Oz gets the Trump endorsement, but he's still statistically tied with some hedge fund goober named David McCormick. Um, <laughs> Dr. Oz, the Harvard-educated formerly liberal quack doctor who served in the Turkish military, like, not like an obvious fit for the Republican primary electorate in Pennsylvania, it's not necessarily catching fire. He's got name ID money and he's got Trump. And I'm not sure that he's like wielding the endorsement as deftly as J.D. Vance is. Um, There are some focus groups I saw uh, on the most recent Republican debate in Pennsylvania where people were just kind of groaning when Dr. Oz kept mentioning Trump like every five seconds, right? It's sort of like all Uh, he has, whereas J.D. has like, The hillbilly elegy, Mima Peepa, the like opiate stuff, the anti-tech stuff, despite being, again, just a wash in tech money from Peter Thiel. So I don't know. This one's a little more of a toss up.
2: What does David McCormick have? It just just, just, is his hedge fund, his hedge fund billions. Cash. His wife who works for the Trump administration. (laughs) Some
1: brand spanking new Timberland boots for him to walk around in. (laughs) <laughs> a very shiny truck. The two of them pretending to be salt of the earth, driving around Pennsylvania. So fucking it. funny. Doctor Oz holding on these. This hedge fund guy wandering around rural Pennsylvania like he knows what he's doing. One thing about JD Vance too, like he is just more sophisticated. He is. Like he he's has. Good a, at it. He has a. He has a theory. He also like it's a small thing, but he was asked about uh, uh, debt forgiveness on
2: student loans. Yeah, and he had, I was just about to bring that up. And he
1: had this answer on it on addressing the ways in which the colleges and universities are responsible responsible for causing a lot of this debt and for being irresponsible in what they did to students, which is absolutely true and not something we talk about enough. And it was a kind of like undergirding philosophy of populism, like that I like that that I think makes him a stickier, better real candidate, which is why someone like Oz has to just go around saying Trump, 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 because there's nothing, there's nothing underneath the surface. You, no. Lovey
3: you're you're totally right. And what's so frustrating about the the JD Vance is like, He has like a little bit of the intellectual heft to like deliver an answer like that on student debt cancellation, but he never gets the pushback that's like, okay, you're all in on Trump though. And he was the guy who just like let all the for-profit colleges off the hook who got all these veterans in a lot of cases to go to these schools, get huge loans from the GI bill, never graduate and get bankrupted, right? Like there's a really good substantive argument for all of this that's just not really happening in any of the races because it's just like Trump, Trump, Trump.
2: Ohio is a Republican-leaning state, and if JD Vance wins the primary, he will appear to be a Republican-leaning candidate in the general election, yep. right? And he will do it probably in a in a more deft way, almost assuredly in a more deft way than Josh Mandel would. Um, if he, he, up, he won't if he beat up, up a senior votes. citizen on stage, yes,
1: <laughs> for sure. I have a small I have a small complaint, but it just was like the kind of there there was a piece in the Times looking at uh, um, Democrats in Ohio. And it found a man, this is just the perfect kind of semi-real person that ends up in these pieces. Lou McMahon, a registered Democrat who said he did not vote in the last two presidential elections because he did not like his choices, sounded open to Mr. Ryan in an interview, but asked to assess Democrats in Washington. He replied, promises not delivered. (laughs) I don't want that guy's vote. (laughs) (laughs) That guy stinks. You know I, do not
2: think, I, I do not think you should uh, run for Call office step, or
1: campaign. Oh, you sat out 2016 and 2020 because you didn't like your I choices? I don't want your vote. I don't want it. Don't want we don't need him. Vote. We don't need that guy. He calls himself I know, a lawyer.
2: We are in Ohio. Tim Ryan has plenty of votes to spare. Yeah, plenty yeah. We don't need him. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask what other Trump-endorsed candidates we should be keeping an eye on. Um, oh, we, Have you guys heard about the, the guy in Nebraska? Wow. That
1: guy... Just a wow. full fucking groper. The governor's like, don't endorse this guy. Stay away
2: from him. Trump's all in. Accused of sexually assaulting eight women. Including a state Gross. senator. Trump's like, uh, he's, uh, the media's been unfair to him. The media's it's on, been unfair. It's a
1: picture. There's a picture.
3: He's just this... Charles Herbster is just groping people at Republican events. Groping other Republican elected officials. And Trump's like, no. He's maligned just like me. I mean, th- this is... like. One of the surest ways you can get Trump to defend you is by getting accused of some sort of sexual misconduct because he just folds it into his own grievance.
2: Of course. Of course. Uh, In Idaho, Trump's candidate for governor is polling 30 points behind the current governor. I don't think that's going well. Uh, And then in Georgia, Brian Kemp is so far ahead of David Perdue, he may actually avoid a runoff. That is that is Trump. Being
1: uh, more narcissistic than he is strategic, because obviously, he just hates Brian Kemp for the sin of kind of believing in elections for fifteen seconds after stealing it from Stacey Abrams, kind of just yeah, be- kind believing of. it just enough for five seconds, or like not be- not disbelieving in them enough. But uh, the problem is he's he's endorsed uh, uh, Purdue and Purdue. Seems to be unaware why he's running Mm -hmm. for office. He seems to have no interest in it whatsoever. He seems bored by the prospect. Terrible candidate. No, no energy, no enthusiasm. Just a terrible, terrible person and candidate.
2: Yeah. Here's how here's how here's how Trump's closing out that race This is what Trump said today quote, a vote for Brian Kemp in this primary is a vote for Stacey Abrams. And I'll tell you, (laughs) I don't, I know, I love it. And I tell you, I don't believe Republicans are going to go out and vote in a general election for Brian Kemp because they thought we won the election. (laughs) Keep talking, Trump. Keep talking. Spread that message far and wide. Yeah, that's good. Georgia Republican. I love that. That's Just good. Do, what you, do what you did in those Senate runoffs in 2020. That's what we're hoping.
3: It's for. also worth remembering that Dr. Oz is his, um, his second choice in Pennsylvania because the first one, Sean Parnell, was accused of domestic abuse and had to drop out. So this is not exactly a sterling run here for, for Mr. Trump.
2: All right. Uh before we go, we wanted to have some fun with this weekend's White House Correspondents Dinner, an annual celebration of journalism and one of DC's <laughs> biggest and most masturbatory events that was held for the first time in 2 years.
1: That's a long list. Uh, of like always, shot. most masturbatory.
2: Most masturbatory. It's tied for first. It's up there. It's, it's tied for there. first with a lot of other other than like other that and like dinner at Cafe Milano every night, you know. That's Ooh. just sort of a regular occurrence. That's a good one. Um Like always, the dinner was attended by media figures, celebrities, comedians, politicians, and the president of the United States, who told some self-deprecating jokes about his age and low approval ratings. Let's take a listen. It's the first time the president attended this dinner in six years. It's understandable. We had a horrible plague, followed by two years of COVID. I'm not really here to roast the GOP. That's not my style. Besides, there's nothing I can say about the GOP that Kevin McCarthy hasn't already put on tape. But Republicans <laughs> seem to support
3: one fellow, some guy named Brandon. He's having a really good year,
1: and I'm kind of happy for him.
2: Love it. What would you think? How'd
1: Biden do? You know, <laughs> look, he, got, he started it, and he ended it. In the middle, he landed some of those jokes. <laughs> I think he did gr- I think he did fine. I think he did great. I think he got through it. It could have been a fucking
3: disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Brandon one. In part because like the let's go Brandon thing is a kind of genuinely funny thing that emerged from whatever Biden opposition is out there that's not as hateful as their usual screeds. And he kind of like showed that he could laugh along with it, own the joke landed the joke it was it was pretty well done i thought he was good
2: i kind of wish he told that brandon joke like five months ago I do too. when it first happened just just at a normal event that would have been that would have really yeah. popped the whole bubble right totally there. yeah yeah
1: and i also did think, like they made a choice which was he did like some jokes i think he did i think he did pretty well in the comedy section and like uh, uh, but then there's something about joe biden like Every president ends the Correspondence Center with like a serious close. It was always like we did every year. He always ended with a serious close. And there was something about the way Joe Biden did it that felt more like it was very important to him. Like he really like he you you see like that there's that part of him that's just this Washington guy that's been in Washington forever, like. He really takes it as a relationship that he has rather than an obligation he had to perform. It like felt very sincere. Like he was really thoughtful about what he wanted to say at the end there. Uh, and I think it worked. Like I think it was really moving. It was actually like surprisingly effective to have him kind like, spend that time.
2: Yeah, Joe Biden is a creature of Washington in both the, the, the best and the worst ways, right? Like it's, he's just he when Barack Obama would do that dinner, he was like excited to tell the jokes by the time we got there. But the whole rest of the time at the dinner, you could tell he was like, what the fuck am I doing here? And Joe Biden was like laughing, genuinely laughing at all of Trevor Noah's jokes, like having a good time. And then, like you said, really believed in the majority of that speech, which was serious, which is not usually what happens. Right. Usually it's mostly jokes. And in this small, serious close. he actually didn't do that many jokes at the end. Um, and, he, and he did most it. Mostly, mostly it was serious.
3: Yeah, it was the most serious of those presidential speeches I've ever heard from a white house correspondent's editor, And it's like every single year you could easily be the scold. That's like, how dare you joke at a time like this, right? This year it's Ukraine, every financial crisis, like you, whatever it is, I will not lie. I'm a loser. I have COVID. So I watched the speech on TV in my home. It was very weird watching, uh, a huge panel of CNN people talking about the dinner. And then they cut to some dude in Kiev at 3 a.m. He's like, yeah, we just got bombed. Air raid sirens going off. You're just like, oh, yeah, this feels a little weird. But, um, you know, I thought I thought Biden probably could have told a few more jokes. But you know what? Love, it's right. You're there. You're checking a box. You're in, you're out.
2: You gave your sincere clothes. Like, well done. I will say, yeah, and you mentioned this, Tommy, the, the way that he told the Let's Go Brandon joke, that style of delivery is like, best joe biden's best happy style, laughing right like that's the most suited for joe biden yeah. that kind of style because he's not like, a, of himself
1: you know like he is joe biden is more like a traditional politician when he's up there it is a bit more like when bill clinton was up there or george w bush was out there like obama was like an exception like obama <laughs> obama approached it like a late night host and like that's not joe biden he's just a just an yeah. old politician he told some politician jokes and i thought it went great
3: Obama was young enough to be cool, relatively like tied to the culture and like competitive, so he wanted to kill it. And I think like the net effect of that is you get some some pundits and people in Washington be like, "But was he too funny? <laughs> like, did he go too far this year?" It's like, oh, shut the f- come on.
2: Well, with Obama, there was always a joke or two that ended up generating a bunch of controversy. It's Monday, late Monday now. There is, we're recording this late Monday. There is no No. controversy generated from Joe Biden's jokes, which honestly, for the White House, great. Yeah, that's what you want. (laughs) They do not need that. They're good. Uh, Trevor Noah headlined the event, giving the traditional roast of the president and the media. Uh, Take a listen. We all saw what happened at the Oscars. Um, I've actually been a little bit worried about tonight. I I won't lie. You know,
3: I was like, what if I make like a really mean joke? You know, about like Kellyanne Conway. And then her husband rushes up on the stage and thanks me. The great chef Jose Andres is joining us here tonight. Give it up for him, people. My good friend, in the room. Whenever there's a disaster anywhere in the world, Chef Jose is there. Which I guess is why he's sitting at the CNN table tonight. Fox News is sort of like a Waffle House. Yeah. It's relatively normal in the afternoon, but as soon as the sun goes down, there's a drunk lady named Janine threatening to fight every Mexican who comes in.
0: A lot of big media names in the room tonight. Chuck Todd is here. Chuck, you here? Yeah? How you doing? I'd ask a follow-up, but I know you don't know what those are.
1: Wow. Just absolutely... Uh, really murder Chuck. I, my one thing with that is, you know, all right, all right. Fox News primetime is worse than Fox News during the day. Let's let's dispense with the fiction that Fox News during
2: the day is okay. I know, I all right, know, it's I a know.
1: it's it's a trope. It's over. Yeah, those are great, great jokes.
2: I can't believe uh, Matt Negrin let that joke through. Well, <laughs> ma- ma-
3: yeah, Matt's a, uh, a a guy who works the Daily Show, used to be a political reporter. His hands were uh, fingerprints were all over that Chuck Todd joke. Since Matt basically <laughs> watches the Sunday shows every weekend to send himself off into the the stratosphere and get angry. But uh, I thought Trevor Noah was very funny. Very funny. Job. We,
2: we didn't play. Uh, we didn't play Biden's Chuck Todd joke. But there were two. Chuck Todd got got, got hit by the president and Trevor Noah. Biden
1: <laughs> Biden did a great job. But there was a there was a, a couple there was a couple moments where um you know look as I've said before often watching Biden. uh uh, give a a big speech is like watching a small plane in a storm you know you just uh, it's rolling it's uh you just want to get to the ground safely there was i feel like around that chuck todd joke in the biden speech we had some pretty severe turbulence what was the joke (laughs) i forget what it was
2: well there was the the coup the the donald trump coup joke didn't really land as as well no uh for for what was the what was the biden chuck todd one though he said something like um i'm not yeah he said something about meet the press and I'm not he getting invited back.
1: That Billy, we well, said that, you know, Billy, uh, uh, Billy Eigner did a great job. He should, maybe he should host to meet the press. It would help their ratings. I don't think
2: I'm getting uh, invited back. Right.
3: And then he kind of like got embarrassed, I think, in the moment about how mean he felt. And he was like, oh, I'm not getting, yeah,
2: he sort of interrupted himself. The yeah, Chuck Todd was murdered a couple times. times. Um, yeah. No, I thought Trevor did great. I mean, I think like it's always tough when you're the comedian because, you think like all right what are the jokes that are funny to the room in tune dc who are a bunch of like nerdy political insiders but also funny to people beyond dc who are maybe watching this right and so you always have to sort of toe that line um but i actually think he did it pretty well yeah i mean what's uh, i
1: feel like one thing we learned over the years though is that that room has plenty of nerdy insiders in it but it's actually there, it's it's a pretty broad group of people, and some of the more insidery stuff actually works less well than you'd expect, right? Like they're not actually. I think that the group of people that are truly up on the dumbest of Twitter bullshit is so small that even if they're all in that room, it's not enough people to fill that room.
2: Yeah, that's right. Which is a good lesson for us all. <laughs> <laughs> and they um
3: and they don't take jokes at the media's expense very well. You are far more likely to get. Groan, as you heard there, than uh, anything else. Right. Yeah. No, they
2: don't. Although he was, he gave a, a closing that has been going viral. That was um, very generous, I thought, towards the media. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, so that was good. Uh, anyone want to argue that this is an important tradition that's critical to the future of the republic? Look,
1: I've said it before. I'll say it again. We cancel it. The whole country fell to pieces. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's true. <laughs> Keep it going. It's
3: really just the most carefully constructed trap in the history of the presidency. It's really all it is. It's like, you guys throw this dinner. You invite a bunch of shithead celebrities. You complain that it went to Hollywood. You guys, like, infect half the city at the gridiron dinner. And then you do this. And then you're all going to go to the press briefing and, like, shred Joe Biden for not doing enough against Omicron. I mean, the whole thing, you're just set up to fail. You're too funny. You're not funny enough. You shouldn't have gone. How dare you joke at a time like this? It's you know, it's good, good old catch
1: twenty two. We all need those. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't care whether the dinner happens or not. Um, totally, but matter, I will yeah. say that. Like, I will say that I am in favor of anything that creates any kind of like monoculture, <laughs> like that anything that like gets a bunch of people, even if, even if it is for the purposes of like a ridiculous navel gazing event. Like, there are so few there are so few uh, events that draw public attention. Like the correspondence center at this point, like it gets wall to wall coverage on the cable networks. It's like, it's probably one of the most viewed things that a president gets to do at this point. And I am all for those events because we need more. um, We need more monoculture
2: moments. So I'm like, I'm for it.
1: Different. It's like, it's it's funny. It's good.
2: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say like, I think that the, the, media celebrity spectacle that has become the dinner is a lot right for sure you're not going to get me to defend that but um i think humor is important in politics and media and in dc i think that people take themselves way too seriously like it's one thing to take the issues that they're covering seriously which we should because it's a serious time but like god people take themselves too seriously and for like politicians to poke fun of themselves for reporters to poke fun of themselves and to do it so that the public hears it i think is actually really important
1: I agree. And like the other thing is, you know, I'll tell you what my feeling was. I was uh, when I saw it starting, I was like surprised by how glad I was to see it exist. And I, I like I was was like, trying to interrogate that feeling. And I do think that like there are plenty of reasons to take issue with the fact that like, you know, our media is feckless. It doesn't focus on the right things. It is sensationalistic. It treats politics like a game. All those critiques are valid. They are not made better or worse by the existence of this institution and like there are so few of those kind of traditions left that I, that I was kind of surprised by how happy I was
2: to see that this one still existed. Yeah, jokes are good. Jokes are good. All right, that's all, that's our show for today. We will uh, talk to you guys on uh, Friday is our next show because we have a live show Thursday night in Chicago. We'll talk to you then. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producer is Haley Muse, and Olivia Martinez is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineer the show. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash media.